What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. We've got a great guest on here tonight to talk to y'all some more about flounder fishing. Uh, this guest has been requested, so I'm excited to have him on for y'all. Um, before we get into that, definitely go check out Eastern Current Fishing on Facebook. Great place for listeners to come together, uh, build a little community, find some fishing buddies, share some stories, share some pictures. Um, if you do really love this podcast and want to help support us, I'm going to be putting a lot more effort into this and then really try to to make it part of you know my job and, and more of my my you know my income as the years progress with with Eastern Current, um, you can check out our Patreon page uh, and that'll be linked in the YouTube description uh, and the show notes on any of the podcast platforms. So definitely go check that out. Uh, it's a huge blessing if y'all do choose to support. If not, definitely just uh, rate our podcast on iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you've been watching it on there, and that all helps as well. And we just we're stoked to to bring this content to y'all. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into this podcast. Uh, we've got Scott Blevins on tonight. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up? Oh, nothing much. Scott's been very patient with me. I've, I've been like, hey, let's do a podcast this week, and the whole week passes. I'm like, let's do a podcast next week, and the whole week passes, and we're finally here doing it. So um, thanks for being patient with me, man. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so uh, people have been like, hey, have Scott, Scott Blevins want to talk about flounder fishing. And it came up beforehand, before the season came in. I think that's kind of when we started talking about it before before flounder season came in. But um, you know, as I followed you on Instagram for a while, I'm like, this guy does catch some serious flounder. And and you said tournament fishing is your passion. Do you like to just focus on flounder tournaments, or do you fish redfish tournaments and all kinds of stuff as well? Yeah, I fish other stuff too, but I suck at it unless it's a flounder. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I'll do the red stuff, but I'm not I'm not good like you guys are. Um, yeah, that's not really my thing, but I I like the competitive aspect of any type of fishing, right? Yeah. I, mean, I think most of us do. Um, so whether it's you know bass back home in Tennessee or flounder down here, man, I I love doing it either way. Definitely, yeah. I think it's it's the competitive aspect. You either like I love it if I'm doing good, and if I'm struggling that day, it sucks. It's like I hate I hate it so much, and it stresses me it's out. Like, it's like my whole life is in ruins when I'm like not fishing well in a tournament. I'm like, God, I'm, not, I'm just gonna quit. I gotta find a new job. Like everything gets turned upside down. But I'm with you. Like the drive, you know, the day of a tournament. And I haven't tournament fished at all this summer. I was planning on trying to do some some more of it, but um, it's fun. It brings out a whole new part of you as an angler, which that's really cool. So, um, but but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the fishery that you have because you fish mostly the, the Cape Fear River and kind of the ocean down there around Oak Island, Baldhead. Do you do much fishing up uh, around Wrightsville Beach and Topsail Beach and Carolina Beach and all that? Not uh, Carolina Beach for sure. Okay, Carolina uh, Beach. Yeah, and we do fish in Wrightsville quite a bit. Um, Wrightsville can be kind of difficult, as you well know, yeah. especially this time of year with the lizard fish. <laughs> and that's when you're, you know, when you're throwing, you know, mullets or whatever for fly on there, that can be kind of difficult. But then we fish all the way down to Shalote, you know, Shalote River yeah. area. That's actually a really good fishery too, but we're fortunate to have the the river systems that we do. Like I live in Leland, mm-hmm. and I like what five boat ramps within thirty minutes. Yeah. So you can, if it doesn't matter if it's going north, south, east, or west, you can always get out of the wind, or there's always some place you can go, and they're pretty much all good fisheries. Definitely. Well, let's talk about this a little bit because I think this is a good kind of topic. Do, do you still enjoy flounder fishing when you can't keep them? Were you still going out and targeting flounder like when flounder season wasn't a thing or were you kind of holding off and waiting for flounder season to open back up? No, man, for sure. And if anything, man, maybe I enjoyed it a little bit more. Uh, uh, to me, it kind of orientated us to thinking more of a, uh, or giving the, giving a flounder more of a game fish status. Yeah. And I hope that the closure provided that, you know, to other people other than just myself. But yeah, I mean, it was fun, man. I mean, to the point, like, if you 
you know, if you hooked a fish too deep, I was like, damn, man, I shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have let him eat it so long or whatever. Right. You know, because we staying in the fishery. But, yeah, if anything, man, I kind of enjoyed it, you know, more than – and I still I still throw away a lot of fish. If, if anybody on here follows me on Instagram, and yeah, I do kill a lot of fish. But, you know, they're they're going in the frying pan for, for somebody. Right, right. Overall, man, um, you know, I'm definitely a big advocate of taking care of the fishery and, mm-hmm. you know, just what we need. Yeah, I think it did the same thing for me, realizing, like, I mean, more than anything, that poor flounder, it's like the mindset of catching a flounder is like you keep it. And I'm all about keeping flounder. It's a delicious fish to eat and and whatnot. But I think it did open my eyes up to like, It's fun. to. I mean, any fish that you pick out to go target and you successfully target that fish and catch that fish, it's fun. I think the same thing, you know, comes true with flounder, especially um, in a lot of the fisheries and scenarios we have here. It's a fun fish to target and it can be in a... I mean, any, any time you can go, like, successfully catch 10 or 12 of what you're looking for is a fun day of fishing. And I think North Carolina can really provide that with the flounder fishing. And um, I think this closure, you know, we've seen. I think everyone's very angry at a flounder right now and wants to <laughs> wants to fill their freezer up with them. But, um, but yeah, the, I, I, I've enjoyed targeting them. I think the best day of flounder fishing I ever had was, like, a month after they closed it last year. And I was fishing for redfish on the jetty with clients. And we weren't, we, I think we had one small fish and, and, you know, they didn't want to keep fish anyways. And I was like, well, let's go out to the Liberty ship and see, you know, see if we can find any flounder. And we went out there first spot we rolled up to. I mean, it was every single cast with a mullet for like two and a half hours. We were just, I mean, big flounder, little flounder, everything. And it was, I was like, all right, I like flounder fishing. So, um, you know, I think we could really have a destination area for flounder, for redfish, for trout. If we kind of got our, got our stuff together, that, that's a whole nother podcast. I'm kind of getting yes. in, a, in a whole tangent, but let's let's talk about do what <laughs> cut, cut that yeah yeah we'll cut it off we'll cut it off but um but yeah it's it's a fun fish to target you know whether you keep it or not so um let's talk about the the river fishing a little bit like what do you look for you know when you're going out flounder fishing whether it's a new area or an area you've been to like what are some of the things that key you off on this is a spot that i want to i want to flounder fish um a few things um you know current current breaks uh, access to deep water or deep water in general um, structure and I, I think that a lot of times we kind of infatuate ourselves with the idea that flounder relate to structure right like yeah. we think of palings or whatever I don't think the flounder necessarily relate to the structure itself because a flounder is its own camouflage it's its, its own structure right I mean you right. can actually bury it in the pen, um, but they're there because of the food source yeah. so you know all the, the spots the pinfish the croaker all the stuff that you know call these little micro reefs home that's why the flounder are there so mm-hmm. any type of structure um like i said deep water I, I like fishing deep water uh just because i think that that those fish don't you know they're on the aren't as prone to maybe getting stuck stuck in the head the night before um so i just i think you might have more concentrations of fish there sometimes yeah um, sand uh, i don't like fishing mud some guys like to fish mud flats i don't necessarily like that um, if you go out on a low tide and, you know, you kind of see like a sandy area with scattered, scattered shell rock, like that's primo, you know, kind of primo area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Current deep water access. Um, I think Luke was talking about the other day about his biggest fish had been in like two feet of water, but it yeah. was beside 10 feet of water or whatever. Right. And that definitely, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, it seems like most fish, you know, that, that, we have our, all our inshore fish, our trout, our flounder, our redfish, even down in Florida, snook, um, 
I would even say tarpon. I think permit and bonefish could be a little different, but um, or maybe permit would be the same. But but they these fish that do get really shallow, they want to be in an area where they can easily flee and be in that you know that comfortable depth of water. Um, but that being said, I think we talked about that in Luke's podcast as well. It's surprising how many, especially polling and looking for redfish, like how many flounder I spook out of such yeah. tiny amount of water and big ones. I mean, like inches of water. Um, but those are always in areas that are like, you know, very little boat pressure, um, very little boat traffic and, and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah. What is there a depth that you're like, is too deep in shore for you to target flounder in or, or is it kind of all across the board? No, man. I mean, really, if you think about like catching fish at Liberty ship, I mean, you're in what 52, 55 yeah. feet of water. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we catch them in some places in the river and you know, the cut obviously that's, you know, 20, 30 feet deep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I prefer like four to six. I bucktail a lot, mm-hmm. especially when I'm, you know, trying to get numbers. So, obviously, you can't bucktail in Cape Fear River in 30 feet of water. But, you know, like a 46-foot depth uh, with, with mild current is kind of my preferred area, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I, uh, It's cool to see how these different species, flounder, redfish, trout, like there's so many different people that target them in so many different ways and so many different little styles of fishing for them. And um, that's cool. Do you want to explain kind of – how what you mean by bucktailing for for fish yeah man um first of all i look like a total moron when i'm doing it right mm-hmm. because like you're i think i counted it up the other day and you're like you're t- you're tapping the rod like 10 times per crank and what i'm trying to do is and i talk with my hands on for the people can no, no that's perfect we're trying to you know the flounder's here on the bottom and what i want i want the bucktail suspended like three to four inches above his head just kind of fluttering I want to make it as easy as possible for the for that fish to be able to eat that bait, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you're say you bucktail a, a dock or whatever, um, you know, and I do it with a live mullet or with a gulp. Just pitch it up there, and you're just you're just working it back real slow, uh, kind of like 45 to the current. Yeah, it's preferable. Um, it's hard to do it with the current, and you actually lose a lot of fish that you hook, and it's hard to do it against the current as well, just because you know the bucktail is not going to stay down toward the bottom. Right. It's um as far as numbers, man. It's a really, really good way to do things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and how quickly is or how quick is your retrieve like on the reel? Like, a, is it like a one one thousand? That I mean, that's kind of a hard thing to explain. But yeah, that's some of the not. stuff that's hard on the podcast to explain. Yeah. Is like you know retrieve speed and whatnot. But it, it's a slower retrieve. It is, man. Yeah, okay. it's a very slow. And again, I'm trying to like I'm trying to like you know visualize everything that's going on under the water, right? Yeah, I'm sure you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like. I'm visualizing the bucktail just kind of doing like that, just real slow, where it's just almost effortless for that flounder to come up and suck it in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, yeah, uh, it's probably like one crank per two seconds. Gotcha. Probably. Gotcha. With yeah. a lot of taps, you're, you're, the cranking is not what's keeping it up. It's the hopping of the rod tip is what keep is keeping it off the bottom. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, so, it's really hard to articulate how to how to bucktail, right? Yeah. So, are you doing that with a bucktail jig, or are you doing that with? Is that a term you're using for? different lures no that's an actual bucktail uh, with a bucktail okay that's what i thought you thought, thought you meant and with a bucktail are you usually just tipping it with like a, a certain um artificial soft plastic is there something that you like to use i tip it with an artificial real mullet an artificial real mullet i like it yeah no and that's this time of year once the mullet are here that's the way to do it yeah uh, if you want to just if you want numbers man a three inch gulp shrimp is the way to go yeah for like sure. a natural color or oral or pearl white both of those are really good yeah i would say most of my my artificial flounder come on a white it's like you, they'll eat it and you know there's a better chance of them seeing it so i always just go with the white 
Um, and that that my first flounder fishing like success as a kid was not with a bucktail jig, but it was there's this area called Old Point up uh, across from Topsail. Uh, it's a neighborhood. It's got a bunch of docks, and this was back in like probably middle school. And we would go take catch mullet, put them on a jig head, and just pitch them up under the dock with a jig head, kind of drag them back and hop them back on the jig head. And man, it's very successful. Uh, it's not something I do on trips much anymore, but it, but it, it really is an effective way to fish and a good way to cover water. When you're doing that, are you changing that mullet out as soon as it's dead, or will you still fish them dead on the on the bucktail for a while? No, I still fish them dead as You'll long as it's dead. not you know, like crusty, as long as it's still pliable. Yeah, um, it'll they're still fine. That's they don't right. have to be alive. They don't so. have to be alive. Cool, cool, cool. Um, is that ninety nine percent of the time what you're throwing, or you throw anything else? Any other other styles of, of fishing for them? If I'm not tournament fishing, that's probably yeah, 95% of the time. Gotcha. Gotcha. If you're tournament fishing, what 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 does it change up to? Uh, just, you know, a true Carolina rig. True Carolina. Gotcha. Cool. The biggest, ugliest bait I can find. <laughs> it's crazy how big of baits they'll eat, man. Flounder. I mean, redfish aren't as – you'd think redfish would be like the most aggressive fish that eat, eat the biggest baits, but – uh, the, the, the baits that I've had trout and flounder throw up, you know, compared to their size, it might not even have been a big flounder, but like the bait size in comparison to the fish is always way more mind blowing than you see with redfish. Yeah. And they hit it so hard. You're like, dude, how does a 16 inch flounder eat a seven inch mullet? <laughs> right, exactly. You get exactly. a clean it, it's like hooked in the, in the gills. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool. So Structure, you said, is not something that you necessarily really focus on too much because you're saying flounder can, can kind of be their own structure. But do you do a good bit of, like, if you're not fishing man-made structure, are you trying to key in on, like, oyster bars or points or creek mouse? Or is it what, what kind of stuff are you looking for if, if not man-made? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm not trying to underscore the, the fact of fishing structure. Yeah, yeah. You know, more so make a point that – I don't think the flounder are necessarily there because they necessarily need structure. Yeah. They're there because there's a, there's the a bait. there. Yeah, um, that's very true. As far true. as, you know, with, if you're not fishing quote-unquote structure, um, yeah, points are big. Uh, if you've got an oyster bar on a point, and, you know, if you've done this with redfish, a lot of times, and, you know, back when I used to gig, it's a, which is a great way to learn why a flounder does what a flounder does, but, you know, you'll pull up to an oyster bar on a point, and then as soon as the sand starts just beside the rocks is usually where the flounder will lay. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's you're looking for stuff like that, and then again, just you know, scattered, scattered shell rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, flounder don't prefer to lay on an actual oyster bed because they can't really burrow into it. Right. Right. They can burrow beside it in the sand. Mm-hmm. It's the thing like fishing you upon reef or Liberty ship. You know, a lot of times you don't catch fish on that big, the big Howardly structure because you know, again, a flounder is not going to sit on top of a box car or whatever. <laughs> you know, more than likely. Right. They're, right. They're going to be sitting down, you know, chilling, tucked in the sand beside the boxcar. So, you know, on that note, I prefer, you know, lower relief structure when you're fishing, you know, all short stuff. Yeah. So like the reef balls and stuff like that. Definitely. Yeah, I've also heard too, one of the key factors for that, and it's kind of what you're saying is anything that's lower relief is holding that bait closer to the bottom as well, which is closer to the flounder's reach, you know, whether that be inshore or offshore. Um, do you fish when you're in the ocean? Do you fish a lot of the man-made structure, or do you try to target ledges, or a little bit of mixture of both? A little bit of both, man. You know, if you fish off the off the Oak Island side of our, our coast, um, you know, we don't really have a very good bottom until you get out in the you know seven to ten mile range. Compared to if you fish out the Carolina Beach side, you know, you've got bottom half a mile off the beach. Right. Um, you know, she said rock, you could hit a nine arm to the sand pretty much, right? Right. Um, 
you know, if, if I'm fishing off the Carolina beach side, yeah, I'm probably focusing more on natural live bottoms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as an off the coast of Oak Island. Yeah. I mean, it's not no secret that, you know, you can go to Yopon Reef and catch fish, right? Right. Or, or McGlamour Reef. Um, mm-hmm. It's just have a, that area doesn't have as much, you know, natural structure as the eastern side. Okay. As on as on the base side, I should say. Here's something that that I want to talk about because flounder fishing. I've always done a lot of flounder fishing. The ocean flounder fishing is is something that has really become an, is a newer thing to me just through guiding, um, yeah. and doing more more you know family style trips. And it's just something that I've realized. Oh, this is a lot of fun to do. It's something I never really tapped into. How? What, I mean. With this season coming in, I w- I'd scouted a bunch, fishing the Liberty ship and some other popular stuff around Wrightsville Beach, and then season comes in, and you got all these boats sitting on it. Like, how how soon do you lose confidence in a spot like that? That I'm not going to go spend my time out there, you know, after a week and a half of this going on, or do you feel like, you know, how does that place reload? Do those areas reload pretty quick with fish, or, or what do you think? Man, I, I mean, it's just an opinion, but yeah, I do think they reload with fish. And I mean, because, you know, areas in the river, you know, you can beat them up four or five days in a row and then, you know, nothing. And then you wait a week and go back and there's fish again there. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing happens, you know, off, off of our beaches too. But if I'm doing that, man, I'll try to spread out. I mean, a lot of things that we don't understand that sometimes when we fish the local reefs or, or bottoms or whatever offshore is the actual size of them, man. Yeah. You know, they're, they're huge. So it, everybody usually, the worst thing that can happen is to have a buoy marking the structure right because <laughs> everybody thinks they have to fish beside the buoy right uh, luckily well not luckily unluckily we have actually now it might be a better thing to have the buoy everyone's around the buoy and you can go fish out around the outside <laughs> that's right but um yeah man just move around uh side scan's huge um you know we've all we've all got the, the cool new stuff on our boats side scan is a huge plus when fishing the reefs mm-hmm. so much stuff that i see that i didn't see before i had side scan yeah so you and I'll just, if there's a huge congregation of boats and like Yopon looked like the U.S. Open the other day, right? So, which is cool. And I'll just, you know, I'll turn on the side scan, start, you know, looking for some new stuff and get out a hundred yards away from everybody else and usually catch some fish. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's one thing I do not have is the side scan. I have not put that on my boat yet. And everyone that has it, that's, that I tell them I don't have it, they look at me like I'm an idiot because it, it, what, it, what it really opens up. Do, do what? I wasn't going to go, well, I'm going to go that far, man. <laughs> well, the times I've fished with it, especially even trout fishing too, yeah. um, where you can just idle up a creek and be like, oh, there they are. Drop a pin on your GPS, turn around and come back and catch them. I mean, it's like, it's stupid if you can, you know, especially as a fishing guide to not invest in it. Um, but I didn't even realize because all the side scan stuff I had done has been, you know, under 12 feet of water. Right. And so looking at the videos and, and talking to people, I was actually watching some videos of some guys that, that catch blackfish up in New York or somewhere like Tog. Um, and those dudes have it dialed, like, you know, the way that they use their side scan and, and read that, you know, bottom in like 50, 60 feet of water. Um, and, and it's pretty much the exact same thing you're doing to flounder fish. Um, do you feel like you started catching more fish in the ocean when you started using the side scan or, or Yeah. Yeah, I really do, man. I mean, everybody knocks on, you know, everybody's like, you know, kind of talks down to the fact that, you know, all everybody has a boat now. Everybody has a main code, you know, spot lock. Everybody's got a, you know, whatever side scan, down scan, pan optics, whatever it may be. But, I mean, we have these things that are, at our, it's a resource that we have available to us. Right. Let's utilize it. And For so, sure. yeah, I really do. I re, yeah, I can definitely say I've caught a lot more fish, ocean fishing because of the side scan. Gotcha. What kind of boat are you running? Uh, 22 Skeeter. 22 skier, sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah. 
Um, yep. that, that's a solid, solid boat. Those skiers are really cool. I thought about, I almost traded my Jones brothers for a skeeter about two years ago and yeah. decided not to. And now I'm wishing I had, man, I'm having so many issues with that boat, but <laughs> it, it is what it is. That's a, um, a boat. Yeah. It's a boat for sure. But let's talk a little bit about, about your baits, um, and catching baits and, and what you like in a bait. So are you only fishing mullet tell me you know some other baits that you might you might use and tell me about like size and whatnot what's too small what's too big man it it's a good question but it all really depends on what you're you know if you want to catch numbers or if you want to catch quantity right okay. well share and both you, let's go through both so for quantity yeah i mean a bucktail and a, and a three inch gulp shrimp man that's that's go to okay. I, I think you're you're doing a couple things number one you're covering more water than the other guy on the boat fishing the carolina rig you know what I mean? So you're actually, you're, you're covering more of the water that you're fishing. And number two, you know, you're not rebaiting every, whatever, every fish or every third cast or whatever it may be. So you just got your lines in the water more. Yeah. Right. So just like a bass fisherman, those guys are throwing a thousand times a day in a bass tournament. All right. Right. You know, if you and I go fishing and you're strictly fishing a Carolina rig and I'm throwing a bucktail, I'm probably going to double or triple number of casts than you will, which a lot of times will equate to, you know, increased amount of fish compared to the Carolina rig fishing. Yep. Uh, but again, it's got to be the right, you know, it's got to be the right area. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, if you're tournament fishing, I mean, I'm, I want to, like, I want to have a bait on so big that I have to, like, load my rod like a surf rod to throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, a big, gnarly bait. Um, I think it's also important that we inf- kind of infatuate ourselves upon, you know, it's just mullet or pogies, right? Right. That's the only thing that we think we can fish with. And you've cleaned a lot of flounder in your life. How many times have you cleaned a flounder? And actually found a pogey or a mullet compared to almost never exactly compared to spots pinfish croakers and perch yeah all right so i mean yeah i mean a, a six inch croaker is, is money so ha- talk to me a little bit how, about how you like to catch those style of baits to use for flounder i think that's the key is like a mullet and a minhaden you can go out throw your net once a lot of times and have all the bait you need for the day um, is there a successful way to quickly get, you know, a couple baits and how many is enough baits? Like if you're fishing a larger bait like that and say you want to go fish that style bait all day, how many baits do you need to put in your live well? Man, like 30 or so, you know, 30 or 40 or so, but I mean, that's like a, that's a two day process sometimes for me at least. Um, you know, getting them is, is hard. I've tried, I've tried traps with, with little success. Um, I just, I try to keep them pinned up, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, some places you can catch them in a net. Um, you know, creek mouse. Um, you know, a lot of times you're throwing for shrimp and you catch pinfish, right? Right. So kind of the same thing. But yeah, it's uh, they, yeah, they're a pain in the backside to catch. Honestly, do you ever but, catch them hook and line? Is that yeah, how you... some, yeah, with you know, like fish bites. Yeah, yeah. Or a little squid or shrimp or whatever. Mm-hmm. But again, that's like a you know, I'm doing that on Wednesday afternoon because I've got a tournament coming up on Saturday or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not time efficient to go out and actually try to do that. Right. In exactly. a fishing event. Mm-hmm it's uh yeah it's funny man like a lot of the times when i and i i think i shared this in a podcast i recorded the other night um but i had was ocean ocean fishing the other day and looked in the live well we had, i think we had five or six fish in the live well no no real big ones i think our biggest fish was maybe 21 inches 22 inches and there was two big spot thrown up in the live well like yeah. really big yeah. spot thrown up in the live well and yeah. um none of the flounder were that big and it's just impressive what they'll eat you know those fish I think a lot of times they don't want to give up their spot. They don't want to blow their cover in an area for a little small mullet or a little tiny, tiny bait fish. They're waiting for a good meal. They've got a really wide mouth, and they can eat, eat large baits. 
Um, same thing with a trout. It's like a very impressive what what I mean. I've seen some pictures circulate. I'm sure you've seen some of the ones that go on Instagram in the fall where it'll be you know like a trout with a redfish hanging out of its mouth or yeah. a trout with another big freaking trout hanging out of its mouth. Yeah. So um, it's it's crazy what they'll eat. Um, a lot of times too, like with those big baits like that thump, you feel everybody talks about the thump, which is one of the reasons you know that we enjoy flounder fishing. But that thump is that you know if you've seen the videos, that thump is is the bait hitting the back of that flounders you know gullet or whatever right so i mean you know a lot of the old timers were like the first time i ever fished in southport which was like 16 years ago this guy was like we were flounder fishing he was like i asked him i said man how long do i need to wait to set the hook he was like smoke a cigarette yeah and like, you know what i mean like we've all heard this right you don't have to do that man i mean you can if you want to but i mean i don't to me you don't have to if you feel that thump nine times out of ten if you feel that thump whenever you get the fish in you're He's having got you're having to dig the hook out, man. Yeah, for sure. When they're when they're eating like that, man, yeah, the, the hook's back there. It's way back there. Um, so we've talked about. I'm trying to think. Oh, let, let's talk a little bit about um, like time of day. Do you feel like the time of day really has anything to do with the bite of those fish? Like, do they bite better in the mornings, the evenings? Is it more tide dependent? Um, does weather have much to, to do with with flounder biting? Yeah, would, out of those three, definitely tides. Tides, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's key. And then another important issue is water clarity. Yeah. Uh, you know a lot, and again, that's we're fortunate to live where we do. You know, you can you can always go to Wrightsville, right, yeah. and get get good water clarity. Um, the water might be more nutrient rich in the Cape Fear and have more fish, but if Cape Fear looks like you know soup or you know whatever mud, then you know you're simply not going to catch anything there either. So right. water clarity is is a big deal. Gotcha. And then, and then tide as well, also. What tide do you prefer um, when when targeting fish? Man, it's not trying to be ambiguous, but it just totally depends on the spot. Yeah. Some and you know this, man. So many places are, are tide dependent, just like on a redfish. I mean, they're going to like they're going to be stacked on a falling tide, and there won't be a fish in a mile on a rising tide, right? Yeah. Same thing with the flounder, man. So it's not really. I can't say that I prefer one or the other. I do prefer higher water, uh, especially for bucktailing, because a lot of times we're doing that on grass lines. Mm-hmm. Which obviously, if the water's not high, then there's no water to fish. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I would say that's what I share with people all the time. They're like, that's a huge question from clients. It's like, what tide's best to fish? And it's one, it depends on what you want to do, like how you want to target the fish. But two, the, the fish are going to eat, they eat all tides. I mean, they're doing different things at all, all tides, it's just a no matter where they are. Um, so throwing a bucktail inshore, first off, what size are you throwing? And second off, do you feel like that's, you can be just as effective with like a jig head and, and a mullet or a jig head and a soft plastic or... Do you think that bucktail and that hair really uh, gets you some more bites? I don't know, man. It's one of those things like, you know. If it's you what you're confident in. <laughs> it is. Man. Yeah, yeah. If you bass fish and throw a, whatever, a kilo of sunrise worm, and that's what you catch fish on, that's what you're going to be good at throwing, right? Right, right. So, I mean, yeah, I fish a 5.8 bucktail. Um, it's heavy enough. You know, that works in anywhere from like 2 to 10 feet of water mm-hmm. uh, if you got a lot of current. And, yeah, I, mean, I feel like it works better. Uh, I'll fish with, you know, with friends or whatever, and they'll throw a, a quarter-ounce just a, a unpainted lead head and, and put a three inch gulp shrimp on it and they'll catch fish. Um, usually we seem to catch more fish on the bucktail itself, but yeah, no, you can definitely go out there and whack a lot of flounder on a, you know, just a standard three eighths or a half ounce, half ounce, uh, unpainted lead head with a, with a gulp shrimp. Yeah. Uh, are you, uh, fishing a, a, a certain color, uh, bucktail or anything like that or just, just white, just white. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Man, I've tried, I mean, I've tied all kinds of different stuff. Like, I put flashaboo in them. I put, you know, sparkles or whatever. I mean, it's chartreuse. I've tried all kinds of stuff. And at, and at the end of the day, man, 
you throw a bucktail for 30, 40 minutes and you hit two or three docks with it and the paint's gone off the head and there's only like three hairs left on it, that bucktail works just as good as that pretty one that you pulled out of the box. Yeah, the box. for sure. Are you usually just using like a Spro bucktail or do you have a certain brand that you like to use? I'm using a Blevins bucktail. A Blevins bucktail. I like it. Tying your own. Yeah, the five eights are actually kind of hard to find, man. Uh, the heads, so I have to, you know, pour them myself and cool. do the whole process. That's awesome. That's anybody deep. listen. If you guys have some deer tails at the end of the deer season, give me a shout. <laughs> I got a bunch of deer tails in here that I'm, I don't. I don't use much deer tail. I'll hook you up with some. All right. Um, well, cool. So, do you fish a bucktail off the beach much at all? Or are you are you mostly bait fishing when you're in the ocean? No, man. We fish a bucktail. Fish uh, a bucktail that, a good the, yeah, the five eights is hard to fish just because of the depth. Yeah, definitely. It works really well, but you know, you, you get you catch a lot of non desirables too, mm-hmm. just because you're not getting it down there. Um, so then we'll yeah, then I'll bump up to like a one ounce spray. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I would say in the ocean, one of the things I found with the jig is you can up that size like crazy and kind of, you know, where you're as if your bait's if your bait's not big enough, you can drop that bucktail down there and kind of get through the lizard fish and the the pinfish and catch the actual flounder. Yeah. Um, it, it was mind blowing some of the first times I like fished a big jig in the ocean like the size flounder that would eat a freaking like seven massive massive seven inch you know swim bait on a on a jig head i'm like oh my goodness (laughs) and then i say you try throwing them inside and i've caught fish on really big stuff inside but i typically size it back down a little bit do you ever throw really large artificials inshore for for flounder or not really not really man um like i've tried tipping it you tipping the bucktails with like the four inch or i guess they're four and a half inch sculpt shrimp yeah and they just they make it uh i don't know i feel like you don't get the same action out of it i'm not worried about the size of it i actually like having that that larger profile but i just i don't think that you get kind of the same action out of it as you do with the three inch shrimp yeah definitely i i think if there's one thing that that comes up in every podcast we do you know we talk about weight of um sinkers if we're fishing like a you know a, a carolina rig or a live bait rig and then weight of jig heads and, and artificials and it's like People like to go with kind of the lighter side of what they can get away with fishing and still be at near the bottom. So um, that definitely plays true with flounder as well. And I feel like flounder more so than trout and redfish, like the action doesn't have to be quite as natural as like, and maybe this is just me, correct me if you have a different opinion, but it seems like they're more just a little more opportunistic at times than like really having to finesse that exact presentation. Do you see the same same thing when you're fishing for them? Yeah, man, for sure. That's a good point because if you think about a flounder, like we mentioned earlier, you know, he's actually, it's only species of fish. It's one of the reasons I like him. It's only species of fish that we're literally having to bring the bait to, right? Right. He, he's down, he's buried in the sand. So pretty much every bite from a flounder is a reaction bite, right? Right, exactly. You know, they're not, you know, a trout's up swimming against the current, you know, waiting on a shrimp to come to him. You know, a flounder's not doing that. Like he actually has to do a reaction bite for pretty much everything he eats. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you don't have to be as picky or subtle or whatever with your with your presentation right you put it in his face man he's, he's probably going to smoke him uh, when you're going down a bank th- this is a question that and this is something i try to break down for people a lot in videos and whatnot but when you're flounder fishing with and let's just say you're bucktailing in, in shore like how many casts are you making going down a bank like how, wh- how where do you feel confident that you've covered that water well with a bucktail i mean you look for high percentage areas right mm-hmm. so you you know points or cuts or eddies or you know current breaks or whatever but in general man i mean whenever i pull up to spot and i'm trying to basically one foot intervals pretty much uh yeah so if i can cast 30 feet to the left and then all the way over to 30 feet to the right i need 60 cast in between the two yeah basically yeah um 
And I mean, and that really pays off a lot of times, man. I mean, because a lot of times, and again, that kind of comes back to the bucktail, just because I'm getting so many more casts in than I would if I was fishing with a Carolina rig. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. just covering so much more water. Do you feel uh, like flounder move to live baits, or do you feel like? Because I've talked to some people where when I'm fishing off the beach, they're like, "Put your live baits down there." You know, when I'm spot locking off the beach, I like to cast. And, and work an area. Some guys like to just sit there straight up and down and wait. They say they're waiting for the fish to like move to them. And I'm like, ah, that just doesn't seem like what flounder are doing. But what's your opinion I, on that? I don't know, man. That seems kind of asinine to me. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, teach his own. Um, but yeah, no. And I think that, yeah, they're, they're obviously going to move, especially throughout different tide cycles. But yeah, I've seen some guys like, man, I caught a five pounder here yesterday. I want to sit here all day long. And they will literally sit there all day. And I'm like, man, you caught it on the rising tide. Just go back and fish on the rising tide. Right. Right. I mean, just, right. you know, but no, I don't think the flounder, they ain't coming to us pretty much. We got to go to them. Yeah, definitely. It's a good way to wrap it up. Definitely. I, I'm with you on that. Lots of cast for flounder because with a redfish, I'll go like every five to eight feet, you know, and depending on what I'm throwing for them, if I'm, if I'm blind casting, like, you know, if I feel like that bait's got a lot of presence in the water, I'll spread it out a little bit more. If it's a little more finessey, I've tightened those casts up a little bit. But yeah, flounder, they're not going to move very far for, for what they eat. And the times that I see flounder strike something, like when I'm pulling the boat, they're they're eating something like right above them. You know, they're barely moving. They're waiting for that bait to come right across their face. Um, and they're fast. They're really quick. But but they're they're not going to – they don't move a foot to eat something. They move four inches to eat something. So that, that – lots of casting. You've probably seen – I mean, we've had flounder come up to the boat, right? I mean, yeah. You know, like you're in a bait. You've seen it too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they will chase baits. And, we've, you know, we've seen the videos from the guys up north that are trolling and the flounder follows it for, you know, 20, 30 yards or whatever before he eats it. So, yeah, they will go after it. But if you just look at their general body structure, that's not what they're built for. Right, right. They're built to sit there on the bottom, be camouflage, and ambush fish. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I just keep that in my mind. You know, as, as you try to do it. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's, you know, you, like it's funny with this podcast because you start thinking so in detail, like when you're trying to explain something, every little bit of it. And then you're like, sometimes I have to like sit back for a second. Like, all right, you know, don't overthink this. Just just yeah. talk about the main points. But um, one last thing I kind of wanted to get at, and I, I just try to get into different people's, you know, their heads and to figure out their fishing style and maybe what makes them, sets them apart a little bit. But um, when you go up to an area to throw an artificial inshore are, are you moving continually through that area on a trolling motor or do you like to stop and what i found best is stopping but but everyone's different do you like to stop and like pick that area apart move to the next spot pick that area apart you know how, how do you move through the area like that yeah yeah and no, i definitely move through there and obviously you know these are areas that we've more than likely fished before it's, it's right. totally different if you're scouting but if you're fishing an area that you fish before and you kind of know where they are then you all you know I'll stop spot lock it hit that for 10 minutes or so catch a fish or two and then another important point is if you catch a few fish you know stay on that area yeah because i don't know that we can say that flounder are schooling fish i think we probably can but i know that for a fact that if you find flounder in one area you're going to continue to find flounder in that area right yeah, definitely so i think that's where it's important to not just continue bass fishing quote unquote you know on down the, the bank or whatever if you catch a fish stop beat up that area real good and then continue your, you know, continue your, your path on down. Definitely. I, I would say I've learned that flounder are even more patternable than redfish like that. You know, like if it's a spot where you catch them, it's funny cause redfish, a lot of times you can see them. So the confidence in your head is there a little bit more, but the flounder it's, it, you know, if there's a little Creek mouth that I usually catch a flounder or two on, 
I can usually go there, you know, every day at that tide and catch a flounder or two on that creek mouth. Usually making the same same exact cast. All right. So but the key the key to what you just said was on that tide. On that tide, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. How far do you feel like these fish are traveling inshore on different tides? I mean, are they sitting, you know, back in the creek at a high tide, twenty yards, and then sit laying outside the mouth? Or that's a hard question to answer. But what's your perspective on it? I, I don't know, man. I wish we had more. I've, I've done all kinds of research, and you know, I wish we had more more tagging research yeah. on flounder. Um, I'd love to see more data collected, but yeah, I really don't know. You know what I mean? Honestly, I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're definitely going to move as the tide cycle moves. Um, you know, especially if you've got a four to six foot fluctuation of tides, they don't sure. have a choice. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know to be honest, man. Yeah. It's, uh, you think of a flounder as a fish that doesn't travel much, but they really do. And yeah. I think it's the Southerns that are our fish that will actually travel. I think Luke was telling me this 60 miles to spawn. So 60 miles offshore, um, they recorded the travel to spawn, which is crazy. And I've caught them pretty far off. I've, I've been grouper fishing, you know, 25, 30 miles off the beach and caught flounder, um, which is, which is crazy. Um, and catch them on some weird stuff out there too. He'll be jigging like a metal jig or something for, and, and catch a flounder on it. And I'm like, oh, they're pretty aggressive out here, but, um, but yeah, I'm trying to think if we, if there's, is there anything that we haven't touched on that, that you'd maybe think that is an important piece to bring up? Man, what, when I was listening to a podcast the other day to Tom Rowland's podcast, uh-huh. so you've listened to, and one, one thing that really kind of hit home with me is he was talking about how he, he fishes with a guy for tarpon and whenever they tournament fish, like this guy wins like every tarpon tournament in Alamorada or, or in the, you know, in the Keys. And, and Tom would ask him like, you know, what are you doing differently uh, than everybody else? And the guy broke it down kind of in numbers. And like the, whenever he explained it, I was like, oh man, this makes a lot of sense. But it was basically like kind of a percentage thing. So like if you have a hundred boats fishing in a tournament or not even a tournament, if you just got to, you know, say you've got a hundred boats fishing in a day or whatever, if you, you know, if you take care of your boat, if your hubs are greased, if your motor's serviced, you know, all these little things that we kind of take for granted, if you do that and you're good at it, then, you know, roughly 10% of the other guys aren't going to be there. So then you're only fishing against 90% of the crowd. And then he went on to, you know, articulate on, you know, if you're, you know, if you're better at throwing a cast net and you can, you know, catch bait quicker than these other guys, basically just, he went on and went on and went on about how, you know, just doing these minor details that you and I have discussed, you know, can basically like kind of take out 50% of the field. And I think it's these things that, that kind of culminate and come together That's sweet. I like that. to make like a really, you know, to make yourself a, an excellent fisherman compared to just a good fisherman. But at the end of the day, man, it's all about just going out and having fun. It right? is about having fun, but I'm with yeah. you, man. Like, you know, people like you and I that really are into this, it's like, all right, you, there's a point where it's like, you know, it is for fun, but I, I want to really become the best angler I can be. Cause to right. me, that's fun. That's fun to take this and, and really break every little asset, every little step of everything down and become the best I can be as, as an inshore angler. Um, and you see that with guys like you that like the tournament fish. I think it gives you that, that reason to push yourself to become better. Um, and if you like fishing, you know, and, and you want to have – a lot of times I have more fun when I'm having a better day of fishing. So why not try to make yourself a little bit better of an angler, you know, along the way? I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had terrible days of fishing where I've had plenty of fun. But we're all out there because we like catching fish. So – Hopefully this podcast, you guys, has helped you all a little bit. And, and yeah, that's a great that, – That's I always ask people, like, what do you have to leave with? And that's one of my favorite right there, man. That's awesome. I should also probably mention, too, that when he's, uh, anybody listening, we want to start up a GoFundMe page for Judd to get some side scan. Yeah, that's awesome. Please do. Right. I'm a full supporter of that.
Right. Um, I know. I, the transducer is only a couple hundred bucks. It's really not that big of a deal. Yes, but um, I just spent all my little play money on some new deer stand stuff. But <laughs> I'll, uh, I need to get side scan bad. I really do. But yeah, if he starts to go fund me, I'm all about it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, cool. I'm going to close her out, man. Thank you so much. For sure, man. Thank you. Well, guys, that was a great episode. We'll definitely have Scott back on and uh, definitely, you know, set yourself apart from everybody else. Really, really try to find the areas that you can grow at and excel at and then spend time focusing on those and, and making yourself a better angler. It is all about having fun, but, but we want to create, you know, conservation minded, successful anglers out there here in North Carolina and up and down the coast. So hope you all enjoyed this podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Later.